Jeb Bush spent $15 million to get 3%. So, you know, and we spent $500,000 to get 2%. So who do you want managing your money? From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. Yeah, I'll wait for the vote before I start reacting. You don't walk away. You stand up and fight. There's never been this many candidates who got to the starting line. When the lights go on and they get bright, you either shine or you melt. I'm David First. After months and months of campaigning, primary season just got real. It's not just polling numbers anymore. We have some actual votes to talk about, and we're going to get to that in just a few seconds. Later in the show, we're going to speak with uh, the Wall Street Journal's Aruna Viswanatha to talk about hedge fund billionaire Steve Cohen and his support for Christie's Super PAC. This weekend, we learned that he gave $4 million to America Leads. That's a quarter of all the money raised by the Super PAC. But first, we are joined by senior editor for politics and policy for WNYC News, Andrea Bernstein, who is in Iowa, and by New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. His new book is American Governor Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption. Welcome back. Thanks. Speaking on Fox News a couple of days ago, Christie defined success for him in Iowa this way. My goal here always has been to be the top governor. If I could be the top governor coming out of Iowa, beat Governor Bush, beat Governor Kasich, beat Governor Huckabee, that would be a really good night for us. Andrea, how does he spin coming in last out of the four governors? I mean, he lost to Huckabee, who has uh, since dropped out. Well, you will be shocked to hear that their response is, move along, nothing to see here. Well, I am pleased to announce that I performed exactly as I expected in Iowa. Um, And so... um, And so we are happy to say we have met expectations in Iowa, and we're now moving on to New Hampshire. Which I think to uh, Christy Tracker aficionados is going to be a familiar Chris Christie spin. It was just what we expected. The race is really the same. Iowa basically didn't change anything last night. Everything that you knew going into Iowa, you knew coming out of Iowa. What fascinated me is that there was a story that the Obama hug seems to have weighed unusually strongly with Iowa voters. Now, we know that wasn't a hug. It was a pat on the shoulder or a shoulder embrace or something like that. Um, But it is known, you know, it's sort of embedded in people's brains uh, as a hug. This is really incredible to me. I mean, caucus goers told reporters that they were not supporting Christie, whom they otherwise liked, because he hugged Obama three, more than three years ago now. I mean, this should be insulting to every New Jerseyan, regardless of political party. What it says so interestingly is that the anger on the Republican side against President Obama is so hot that any sense of rapprochement uh, is never going to be forgotten. This was the biggest natural disaster in New Jersey history. And the president of the United States was somebody in position to help the people of New Jersey, of all political parties, more than any other single person. And Christie did what history will look down as the right thing. I mean, he allowed the president of the United States to come view storm damage himself, have a private meeting where they could discuss what Christie needed to get his state back up and running as soon as possible. The other thing about the quote-unquote hug is it shows the internal contradictions of Christie's brand, which is not selling at this point in the 2016 cycle. 
He started out this campaign running as the guy who could, forgive me, build bridges with the other party, make things happen. That was his entire 2013 re-election campaign. I may be a Republican, but I can work with you for the betterment of, our, of us all. And the fact that the hug, quote unquote, proved so toxic shows that that is just a a brand that people don't want right now. It's like tang. It's it's out of popularity. It's out of style. I think that's too simplistic. I mean, this is why the hug, the, the so-called hug that didn't happen, but the near hug is why he won re-election in New Jersey with such extraordinary margins. This is not a reflection of the American mood necessarily. I think I mean, I, I'm guessing that most Americans on paper would like the fact that people of different parties work together. This is a reflection of the, um, uh, the, the conservatives who are more conservative than most conservatives in America, the conservatives in Iowa who voted in this caucus, which is a small percentage of Iowans and a small percentage, a uh, teensy, teensy percentage of Americans. So I don't think we should extrapolate some larger thing from the fact that he was punished for the hug. I think we should be upset by it. Well, I agree and I disagree. So I agree because I think you are absolutely right that we, and I put myself in this category, get too wrapped up into what the early caucus and primary voters are doing. And of course, they represent a certain wing of their parties. They represent the people uh, on the Republican side who watch Fox News all the time, on the Democratic side, who watch MSNBC and are very influenced by Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes. Uh, so I think that you are absolutely correct in that. However, I will say, I was in Iowa in 2008, and I am taken aback by the level of anger by both parties against each other having this incredibly balkanized media market and social media so that people's views are reinforced all the time by people who have similar views to them, that's changed politics. And I think we have to watch how that's going to affect the general election. Matt, Chris Christie has been laying the groundwork for success in Iowa for, you know, five and a half years. What did he get ultimately for all of his effort? He got nothing. He got zero delegates. It's hard to overstate Uh, how much time the governor has spent in what is otherwise, if you take presidential considerations out of the mix, a random, small Midwestern state with no relevance to New Jersey. He went here for the first time in his 10th month in office. And already then there was speculation about whether this meant he was running for president. And he had to tell a Star-Ledger reporter who was following him around back then in October 2010 that, no, he's not interested in running for president. He's, he's just here to help his friend, Governor Terry Branstad. My belief in my heart is, and I've said this very clearly, that to be president of the United States, you have to have two things at a minimum. You have to want it more than anything else in the world. And I don't. Second, you have to feel like you're absolutely ready. Because if you get the chance to walk into the Oval Office and you're not absolutely ready, you're doing a disservice to your country. And I don't think I'm ready. 
That relationship with Governor Terry Branstad, who he was campaigning for back in 2010 and came back for many times, uh, turned out to do diddly for him. Uh, Branstad did not endorse anybody in this election. He did lend out some of his campaign team to Christie for his Iowa operation, and he did rally with Christie a couple times in the last uh, few days before the election, Uh, but it turned out to be meaningless. Christie also had come back several times to Iowa to campaign for hard-right conservative uh, Congressman Steve King. Steve King ended up endorsing Ted Cruz and getting on stage with Ted Cruz at the victory party last night. So all that effort uh, ended up being worthless. Uh, Meanwhile, the moves that Christie made in New Jersey, the political, the, the policy moves that were all considered an effort to pander to voters in Iowa, apparently all that didn't pan out either. Christie moved to the right on guns. Um, he held a pheasant hunt fundraiser for uh, Steve King some months ago. None of those efforts to look more friendly to the Second Amendment helped him in Iowa. It just hurt him in New Jersey. So 42 days the governor spent in Iowa with New Jersey state troopers guarding him over the last five and a half years, almost entirely for political trips to build relationships, to lay the groundwork for this moment, February 1st, 2016. And it's all for naught. I mean, I do want to say that I did meet a lot of people here in Iowa who really liked Chris Christie. They liked all the things that Chris Christie hoped they would like. For example, his experience as governor, his straightforwardness. It's not that he didn't sell himself to Iowans. It's that anybody who was going to support him decided at the end of the day that they would rather support uh, a winner. You know, maybe it was just to, trying to be optimistic, typical things you say as you're, you're heading into an election. But in, in the days leading up to the Iowa caucuses, Christie was still predicting a good showing. I feel like we're going to do better here than most people expect. He even spoke about pulling ahead of the other governors. When you look at how much Jeb Bush has spent in this state, how much time and money he spent, that we're pulling ahead of him here in the last uh, day is a good sign for our campaign and even better sign as we move ahead to New Hampshire. To be fair to Governor Christie... All of the governors did horribly. You know, they're separated by hundreds of votes. Ted Cruz got something around 50,000 votes, and, and, and the governors all got something like three, four, five thousand. 5,000. So none of them did really well. That was not a uh, good profile for any of them. What was a surprise is, I mean, if you take Governor Kasich, he just gave up on Iowa. And Christie really tried. And Christie, he has these town hall meetings and people respond well and they're fun and he seems clear and he answers people's questions and he makes jokes and he seems relaxed and he impresses people. But he hasn't got that to translate into votes. As you mentioned, Kasich gave up on Iowa and he beat Christie. That is true. And, you know, Christie, he could have not come here, not spent any campaign money and come out with essentially the same result. All right. Well, just to wrap up, what happens now in New Hampshire? You know, votes are coming in. More candidates are beginning to drop out. Matt Katz, how does this uh, Iowa result for Chris Christie affect his performance in New Hampshire? The biggest problem is that Marco Rubio now is seen as having momentum. Uh, he performed better than expected. He nearly beat Donald Trump, nearly came in second place. 
And now he's going to be the one that everybody's going to be looking at. This is the person that Christie has targeted the most. We know who the boy in the bubble is up here, who never answers your questions, who's constantly scripted and controlled because he can't answer your questions. So when Senator Rubio gets here, when the boy in the bubble gets here, I hope you guys ask him some questions. This is whom he has attacked the most. This is whom he sees as the place where he can uh, steal some votes. It did not work for him in Iowa. Um, and now he's got to try to do the same strategy in New Hampshire, even though Christie's objective is beating Kasich and Bush. He's not looking to actually beat Robio. He just needs to beat Kasich and Bush. And if he doesn't beat Kasich and Bush, my guess is that Christie, as a presidential candidate, won't last much longer. I have spent a lot of time in New Hampshire. New Hampshire voters, like voters everywhere, don't want to throw their votes away. It's hard to think what could Christie do to turn his downward slide around, and that's what he has to do. Senior editor for politics and policy for WNYC News, Andrea Bernstein, joining us from Iowa, New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. His new book is American Governor Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, guys. Love talking to you. See you in New Hampshire, David. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. This weekend, we learned that hedge fund billionaire Steve Cohen, whose company SAC Capital Advisors pled guilty to fraud related to insider trading, has given a full quarter of the money raised by the pro-Governor Christie super PAC. According to filings released over the weekend, he and his wife Alexandra gave a total of $4 million to America Leads in 2015. Here now to talk about Cohen is a reporter who has written extensively about him for the Wall Street Journal, Aruna Viswanatha. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So who is this guy, this billionaire who is effectively paying for so much of Chris Christie's campaign? Uh, We know he's one of the richest people in America. That's right. He is one of the richest people in America. He's a pretty well-known billionaire who runs a, a very well-known hedge fund called, who did run a very well-known hedge fund called SAC Capital. They, over two decades, he he would bring in regularly 25% annual returns, which is much better than most other hedge funds. For years, people questioned whether he was getting those returns legitimately, and, and prosecutors and investigators at the Securities and Exchange Commission investigated him, his firm, traders um, that used to work for him for many years and built a a number of cases that some of them were getting non-public information about publicly traded companies, using that information to trade on them, and then profiting in ways that were illegal. Mr. Cohen himself was never charged. His company did plead guilty and pay almost $2 billion um, and essentially shut down uh, in 2013. The SEC just last month did settle with Mr. Cohen. He is still barred from working as a supervisor at an entity that's registered with the SEC uh, for a couple more years, but after that, he's free to run a fund that is registered and can manage client money. When the SEC initially brought the case, they were seeking to kick him out of the industry for life. 
Can you describe his house? He lives in Connecticut, and according to an article in Vanity Fair, it boasts, among uh, many other things, three giant pieces of art by Jeff Koons lining the driveway. Uh, he is a, a bit of an art collector. Right. He's known to have a, a very, very extensive, very extensive art collection. I don't know that I actually can tell you that much more than you just said about uh, his house up there. <laughs> not, too, not too many people get access to, to chat with him in the house, for certainly for profiles. Right. That's definitely true. He's not a, a very open person, and uh, he has not talked very much since all of these investigations unfolded. What do we know about his uh, relationship with Governor Christie? He, he famously attended Christie's re-election uh, victory party in Asbury Park, and uh, he attended the day after that his firm pleaded guilty to the insider trading charges. Right, that's right. I, I, my understanding is they have a relationship that goes back a few years, and he's been an admirer of the governor for sort of reaching across the aisle and being able to get things done in New Jersey, and he thinks that's the attitude he wants to see more of in Washington. What does he get to claim now that there's this settlement, that he uh, has been exonerated? I mean, it's his fund ended up paying nearly $2 billion in penalties after pleading guilty, even though he himself, as a human being, as a person, did not plead guilty. That's right. The uh, I mean, he never faced a criminal case himself. He faced these sort of administrative regulatory charges. But in the end, even that case was really just about one person that worked at his company who was convicted of insider trading. And he was accused of ignoring red flags about this one trader. So much like a Governor Christie can say, uh, some people that worked for me did some foolish things <laughs> and uh, closed those lanes leading to the bridge, and I dealt with them and I fired them. Steve Cohen can say there was a few loose cannons in the office. That's right. That's exactly right. Aruna Viswanatha, reporter with The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christie Tracker podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and you can follow Andrea Bernstein at Andrea WNYC and Matt Katz at Matt Katz 00. That is Matt K-A-T-Z. I'm David First, and we usually hear from the governor at the end here. This week, Matt Katz has a message instead. I have a big secret for Chris Christie. I am accidentally staying at the hotel where he's holding his uh, victory party Tuesday night. I had just looked for any hotel many months ago. Ironically, or perhaps perfectly, it's where Christie's going to be having his uh, victory party. I'll be sure to get that uh, 3 a.m. post-New Hampshire primary elevator interview for you, David. It shows how, like, after all this time that you've spent thinking about Christie, what kind of mind meld the two of you have. It's scary. We're basically the same person.